Last Sunday, we considered the implications if Jesus had not actually risen from the dead. In short, this would all become a waste of time. We would live as a pitiful people who waste our faith and, even more, our lives, sacrificing for a dead Savior that remains powerless to affect our tomorrows. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul sends a clear gospel message to the deceived and doubting Corinthians. Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried in a tomb, and was raised from the dead three days later. Jesus physically appeared to hundreds of people at different times after his resurrection, and he will return for all who have died in Christ and resurrect them to live in the presence of God for eternity. In the second half of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul turns his attention to address another question the foolish Corinthians have. How are the dead raised, and what kind of body will they have? Which are good questions, because there's just no way um, that we're going to be able to know everything, and especially when it comes to the next life. How many of you have some questions that if I had the answers, you'd, you'd want to know them, right? Yeah. The, the title for the series is God's Wisdom for His Foolish Saints. This is a, a, an idea that Paul has in this letter, trying to remind the Corinthian people that some of the things that they believe in, some of the things that they are willing to die for, are probably not popular in their culture. I, I think sometimes we wrongly assume that back then it was easy to believe crazy things like heaven and an, astro, an afterlife, because everybody believed in that. But we're gonna actually see today that that's actually not true. That even back then, there were some rather uh, grandiose, too good to be true thoughts that many Christians had. So the Apostle Paul makes this statement that the cross of Jesus Christ, the way that we are saved by believing that Jesus Christ died in our place, that that can just sound foolish to a lot of people. To the Jew, it just sounds Foolish that someone else might die for me. That God would put on human flesh. That just sounds foolish. There are other people that they're really not going to believe unless you can like do a miracle. Unless you can somehow show me, if you could somehow do something that would defy my own experiences and make me deal with these, um, these principles that Jesus Christ, no, no, I want something tangible. I want something miraculous. And if you can't show me a miracle, I'm not going to believe you. I'll just think you're just kind of foolish. The story that you tell about Jesus being raised from the dead or the story that you say about my parents when they pass away, that they will be raised back to life, that in the end sounds too much like the tooth fairy. Not real life. Now, I know you Christian people actually believe that. There's lots of crazy religious beliefs. We've had them as long as humans have existed. But really, people that believe that, that aren't kind of firmly entrenched in things that we know, that we know, that we know, like science and our own experiences, you're just a fool. You're just a fool. And so I want to ask you this question as we deal with the last part of this text. Have you ever felt like you were a fool for believing the gospel? Have you recognized the sense that 
as you are walking through life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that as you are walking through life, does it feel like though you are walking and everything else is going in the other direction? Does it feel like you're cutting against the grain of how you live, how you plan for the future, how you stay in your marriage, how you don't give up on your kids, how you run your business, how you respect those that you work with. And in the end, it just, it seems like everything that I'm doing and everything that I'm saying and everything that I'm believing is just kind of cutting against the flow of culture around me. Because many of us can only do that for so long. I mean, I can only do it for so long and then it's just easier to just swim with the flow, isn't it? But why, why fight it? Have you ever, when you, when you think about the afterlife, and, and usually we, as we get older, maybe we think about it a little bit more, when, when people that we know and love pass away, we, we begin to talk rather grandiose about the idea about resurrections and about heaven. But in terms of just daily life, like have you ever just considered that your hope in the resurrection was nothing more than wishful thinking? Like, is your thought about heaven just a way to just kind of appease the life that you have so that you don't get too sad that, I think a lot of people would tell you this, I think you just need to admit it. This is what Christian people don't get, some would say. This is just their way of coping with the fact that this life is really all there is. So you've created this idea of heaven. You've created this idea of an afterlife to just make it through your day. Those aren't new thoughts. Those aren't something that were just invented in the last few hundred years when people really began to think through these things. Have you ever just felt, honestly, have you ever just felt or wondered that your own hope of heaven is too good to be true? You're not alone. Like these thoughts and these ideas are... um, are as old as the gospel, maybe even older so. I remember when I was a little boy um, at the, the Royal Museum in Toronto brought uh, King Tutankhamen. Remember King Tut? King Tutankhamen, they, they brought an exhibition and I was just a young little boy and I was fascinated with Greek mythology and the Egyptian view of the afterlife. And I still remember getting a ticket and going down and seeing all that was in King Tut's tomb. This Egyptian king, boy king, who believed there was an afterlife and kind of orchestrated his power and his empire to gear everything towards what his afterlife would be like. And so this is what they did with his body. And this is how they prepared for him to eat on the other side. And and we look at that and we just think, that is just so silly. Those people way back then, they sure didn't get it. And the Apostle Paul has felt this, wherever he preaches and he goes and he speaks the truth about Jesus and he gets down to this particular point. See, the Apostle Paul doesn't just believe that I've got some rules for you to live your life and if you live your life by these rules, your life will be better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, if you do A, B, and C, your life will be better in this world. Paul says, if the resurrection is not true, then we are to be pitied above all others. 
If what we believe in the cross and the empty tomb and the resurrection, the ascension and the second coming of Jesus, if that is not true, we are fools and we are wasting our Sundays and hopefully our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays and our Thursdays and our Fridays and our Saturdays. So the gospel doesn't offer us a kind of living that makes this life easier. The gospel that God made the world and that the world rebelled against him and that God loved the world so much and desired to be honored by his creation that he sent his son to die in our place. And those people who accept God's plan and God's purpose and God's gift of salvation by faith are now united with God again and now are a part of his everlasting and eternal kingdom. That's what the gospel is. And when the Apostle Paul preaches that, he always gets to this point where he says, and God has given proof of all of this in the fact that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If you want to know why we believe in the gospel of Jesus... It's not because it works. It's not because we're smart. It's because Jesus Christ was, in fact, raised from the dead. And when, G, when, when, when the Apostle Paul would preach that aspect of Jesus' life and ministry, um, the response might seem kind of uh, interesting to you. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a bunch of philosophers in Athens And he speaks about the resurrection. And here's what Luke records in verse 32 of Acts 17. And now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead. So when Paul got to the climax of the story, you'd think they would go, okay, now this is going to be good. When Paul was finished talking about the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him. You believe in that? (laughs) Okay, tell me about the tooth fairy. Okay, tell me about the Easter bunny. This is good. Hey, hey, you got any other great stories? Hansel and Gretel? Is it Hansel and Gretel? Hansel and Gretel? Uh, You got any great stories? You got any great ideas? What do you got for me? They're they're mocking him. They're laughing at him. You actually believe in the resurrection of the dead? You actually are building your life upon that? You're asking us to transform our lives in light of this crazy message? You are so foolish. Then it goes on to say, but others said... We will hear you again about this. I I think it's probably best to assume that those people were not eagerly seeking. They were um, doing what most of us do, is just putting off tomorrow what we should do today, spiritually speaking. Many people don't want to wrestle with it. Sure, I, I get it. It's probably... I know there must be something out there. I know, I mean, when you look at the universe, I get that somebody must have made it, but in the end, like, I don't want to get wrapped up in all of the details. I just want to kind of live my life. I don't want to get caught up in all the details. I don't want to, I want to deal with any of the specifics. I just want to kind of live my life. And as long as I work it out and try to be a good person, I can't imagine everything won't just work out for me. We'll talk about this again. Last week, Justin, um, near the end of his message, because he had so clearly presented the gospel, gave an invitation. If you do not know Jesus Christ, if, if Jesus is not your plan of finding peace with God, if you're not relying on and trusting in what he has done for you, then we want you to come. We want you to accept what Jesus Christ has done. And I guarantee you at that moment, in this room, in this very room, you don't have to go to Athens, In this very room, there were young men and women. And I promise you, some just thought, whatever, dude, tooth fairy. 
Others said, ah, we'll deal with that later. Yeah, we'll deal with that later. I think, I think I'm good for now. So the Apostle Paul wants the Corinthian people to know that the world may think you're foolish, that you are, in fact, cutting against the grain, that you are, in fact, hoping for something, believing in something, but the Apostle Paul would say, because of the resurrection of the dead, particularly Jesus, because of your belief in that, you will be proven right. So look how the text unfolds. Paul says, someone's going to ask these questions. Someone's going to come around and ask, hey, if that is true, if you actually do believe that there is going to be a resurrection of the dead, then can you please explain to me, I mean, everybody has some of these ideas. It is kind of wonderful to think about, isn't it? Like if we're going to be raised from the dead and we're going to be having new, okay, I just, you know what I don't get? Honestly, what I don't get is, if there's going to be no, Revelation 21 says, there's going to be no more death or no more mourning or crying or pain. So does that mean like in heaven, are we, if we're not, I mean, are we going to be floating around like angels? Well, the Bible doesn't seem to be teaching that. So I'm curious to know, like in heaven, if there's a mountain and I jump off the mountain and I fall down, do I just like bounce? Like if I'm, if I'm working with like a hammer and I hit my hand, does it just kind of like, that's crazy. That doesn't even hurt. I remember when that used to hurt. It doesn't even hurt now. And I, anybody else kind of wonder about these things? There's going to be no more death or crying. And I, honestly, I, I can't understand it. And someone's going to ask these questions. I, I think you're one of those someones that is asking these questions. And it just, it just seems weird. In, a, in about a little less than a month, I believe, right, Olivia? A little less than a month. My, my granddaughter is going to go from the inside of mommy to the outside where the rest of us live. If I could begin to talk with her, and because I'm sure she's the smartest little girl in the history of the world. But I'm sure, let's just imagine with me that I could, I could sit down and I could talk to little Heidi Mae, and I could say to her, Heidi Mae, I can't wait till you come and see me. What, what do you mean, see you? I'm like, yeah, your eyes, and you'll, you'll be able to like, see me, and you'll be able to see all these other people. Well, I just, I can't imagine. What do you mean, all these other people? Oh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of us. There's like billions of us. And we live on this huge planet, and you're about to see it. And you're about to, um, you don't know, you have these things called lungs, and you're going to breathe like air. And she would, she would go, like, I, I don't understand at all what you're talking about. And, and someday, um, your mom and dad, they're going to go somewhere, and I, you and me are going to have so much fun. I mean, this little girl's going to be so spoiled, and I'm going to take her wherever she wants to go, and, and she would... She, Heidi Mae would probably just reach down and she would grab this little cord and she would go, well, I can't go too far from mommy. Okay, well, let me tell you what's gonna happen, sweetheart. I mean, um, I've seen it three times. They cut that cord. They cut the cord. How do they cut the cord? You told me that's how I'm, that's how I'm surviving. That's how I'm eating. I said, yeah, like what you're talking to me with right now, like your mouth, like that's what you're going to, okay, I don't understand anything that you're telling me. I just can't believe that such a world exists because when I look around, can't really see, when I look around and when I think of the world that I am in, it is just, it's nothing like the world you're describing. But we're not crazy, right? Like this is the world that we live in. 
And little Heidi May is just living in a different world now, but it's not like her ultimate destination. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, I, I get your questions. And I get that someone is going to ask these things. I, I want you to just admit for a moment that there are things that we cannot understand until we begin to experience them. There are things that are, in, in some sense, beyond our ability to just cognitively get, but need to be experienced. And so the Apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 35, but someone is going to ask, and there's a little bit of a, uh, of a, of a tone with this statement, okay, how are the dead going to be raised? I mean, look, what, what about all those people that died and their bodies were completely destroyed? What, do you, what, what happens to them? What about all those people, all that are left are bones? How do, you, how do you bring those people back to life? With what kind of body are they gonna have? Let's just think about that for a moment. And, and we almost sound like we're brilliant because we always play according to the terms that we think makes the most sense. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 36, you foolish, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be. So we don't, we don't sow the body that we're going to have. But we actually bear, like, it's, it's this kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other kind of grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. And what he's talking about here by flesh is not all bodies are the same. But there are one one kind of body for humans and another kind for animals and another for birds and another for fish. There are even heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind and the glory of the earthly one is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. Basically that God has a plan and that everything is different, but everything is held together by God's ultimate design. And the Apostle Paul wants the Corinthian people to know that just because they can't imagine it doesn't mean that it's not actually true. And how do we know this? And we're going to keep going back to this. How do we know this? Because Jesus Christ himself was, in fact, raised from the dead. Therefore, the questions that we might ask or the experiences that we don't understand don't by themselves deny the legitimacy of what God's word says. And instead, you and I are actually um, left at this very special and wonderful place where we believe by faith. We believe by faith in these things. And that's a good way to know. So if I, basically what he's saying is, is that if I were to take like a kernel of corn and I were to show you that kernel of corn, and let's say you had no idea, you had no idea where corn came from. If I gave you that kernel of corn, I said, I'm going to put this in the ground, and I want you to tell me what's going to grow up out of it. You'd probably think like a big old kernel of corn, right? That just big yellow thing would just start rising up out of the ground. That's what you'd think. What is this? If I gave you an acorn and said, I'm going to put this in the ground, tell me what's going to come up out of the ground. What's going to die, in essence, and then come up out of the ground. What is that? And you would say, well, probably this big acorn. Not at all, actually. The Apostle Paul is drawing off of that analogy that we can't see from the kernel. 
We cannot see from the mustard seed the tree that it is going to produce. And in the same way, we cannot just look at things in an earthly way and understand fully what God has in store for us. So then what can we know? Does this mean we can't know anything? No, no, no. Watch. Paul continues on in verse 42. Paul points out that in the same way that we all look relatively similar to Adam and Eve, in essence, we're humans. In the same way, we're going to resemble what Jesus Christ is. Verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So don't just say it's impossible. No, no, no. Jesus Christ has shown us it's not impossible. For what is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. It is also sown, uh, it is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. By the way, when that says spiritual, please don't think not physical. Don't think that. There is this natural body and then there is like this spiritual body, which by the way has physical attributes to it. When Jesus Christ came back, okay, for the record, when Jesus Christ came back, and him and Thomas are having that conversation. Jesus did not go, hey, do it. Just try it. Just try to touch me. Just try it. Try to put your, try to put your hand right there or your finger right there. Try to put your hand right here. He'll go right through me. It's so cool, Thomas. Do it. What did he say? Touch me. You think I'm a ghost? Touch me. Do you, I'm not a ghost. Like I have a physical body. So just because you hear the word spiritual, don't think not physical. But in the same way that Jesus Christ was raised... We will be raised. Verse 45, thus it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, which by the way is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spirit that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, that's Adam. A man of dust, that's us. The second man, that's Jesus, is from heaven, and as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. Meaning you and I will all end up being dead someday, should the Lord not come back first. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. That's those who believe in Jesus. Just as we have been born in the image of man, of dust, okay, all human like Adam, so shall we bear the image See, we were made in the image of God in the garden. All of us were. And in the same way, in this new heaven, in this new earth that God is going to create, we are going to bear the image of the man in heaven. In the same way that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, we shall be raised from the dead. And that is the hope that we actually have. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just a principle. It is a I would argue strongly a historical fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and therefore the hope that you and I have in the resurrection, even though we can't fully understand it, even though we can't fully explain it, is still true and reliable. And, and I believe in it so much, I'm, I'm willing to base my life on it. See, that's the real question. I know this sounds too wonderful to be true. Here's how I begin to find out whether or not you really believe it. Are you willing to base your life on it? Are you willing to base your life on the fact that Jesus Christ was in fact the son of God, that Jesus Christ is in fact your hope of peace with God? Are you willing to base your life on that truth? 
The Apostle Paul then uses a very interesting word in our next section. He says this statement, I'm going to tell you a mystery. And most people, when they say, I'm going to tell you a mystery, they're like, ooh, like a really cool story. You're going to tell me a mystery, something that we could never understand. Actually, the word mystery that is actually found in the Bible is not something that we can't understand. It's something that we can't understand until someone comes and explains it to us. You ever had something that was just too crazy to believe and then somebody explained it and you went, oh, I see how that works. I remember getting certain moments in like chemistry classes in high school or a physics class or even, even like an English class. Oh, that's how words work. I mean, you get you have this kind of this mystery that exists and then when somebody really begins to explain it to you, you're like, oh, I understand that. Not perfectly, but I understand that. That is what the word mystery means in the New Testament. Something that was there, but was hidden. Something that was always there, but there was something that was actually keeping us from understanding it. So what the Bible teaches is that from the very beginning, Jesus Christ was God's plan for a broken world. Always been the plan. And so in the Old Testament, there's all these words and promises but people couldn't see it. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't just get what that, what that section meant, that the virgin is going to be with child, or all of these wonderful prophecies of who Jesus Christ is. And when Jesus Christ came along, here's what he does. Here's the mystery that existed. Here's the mystery that was there. Jesus Christ went, ta-da. Like, this is me. I didn't just come out of nowhere. I was always, I was the plan of God. When Paul says, I want to tell you a mystery, that this is God's plan from the beginning, it's the ta-da. Not I'm trying to tell you something you cannot understand, but I want you to see what has always been there. And so the apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, that flesh and blood, so human things, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable, meaning a fleshly body, Inherit imperishable, meaning our eternal home. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, meaning we shall not all die. I think he's speaking there to the church in general. There's a lot of debate about whether or not Paul expected Jesus Christ to come back in his lifetime or in our lifetime. I do believe this, that the apostle Paul believed that the church would exist when Jesus Christ comes back. Whether or not he believed it, we'll have to ask him when, he get, when we get there. Paul, did you really believe? When did you think Jesus Christ was going to come back? I can show you texts where there are a lot of very biblical people, Peter and James and John and Paul, seem to say two things. Number one is that Jesus Christ is going to come back soon and that in the end, many of them expected to die before he came back. Paul expect, I believe Paul, if you read uh, the book of Acts, expected to die going to Jerusalem. But Paul does believe this, that there are going to be people that are not going to see death, and it's not because they've lived to immortality, but because Jesus Christ will come back. We will not all sleep, but we all will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So that's the second coming of Jesus. For the trumpet's going to sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For this perishable body, the physical body that you and I have, will then put on the imperishable and the mortal will put on immortality and then will come to pass the saying as it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Like death, you, you thought, because for most of us, death is the end. 
It's that ache that we have. It's that ache that we have that you just cannot come back from this. When we lose loved ones and they happen, whether it's sudden or not sudden, there is this, we can never go back on this. That's what death feels like, isn't it? Something to which we cannot return from. Well, Jesus Christ actually says, death is not the end. Our hope, by the way, is that Jesus Christ has proven to us through his resurrection that death is not the end. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Paul explains that in the book of Romans. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death, over sin. How does he do it? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God that now when we look at life, how you and I look at life, going against the grain, it is based, by the way, not just on this hope that we have of heaven on the other side or an eternal life on the other side. The hope that we have on that other side actually goes through Jesus. See, the Apostle Paul doesn't spend a lot of time talking about, oh, wait till you get to heaven, you're gonna love it. It's a really cool place. I mean, it's kind of like Six Flags, only bigger. It's kind of like Disney World, only better. It's kind of like the Rocky Mountains and a beautiful beach by the sea. It's like all of that only. That's not the way he describes it. Here's how the Apostle Paul talks about the, everla- the everlasting ever after. Oh, wait till, you, wait till you see Jesus. Oh, wait till you meet Jesus. Man, when I die, he doesn't say, I can't wait to go because when I die, there's gonna be a mansion for me in heaven. No, that's how crazy American preachers preach. What does Jesus say? Or what does Paul say? I can't wait to be gone from this, this fleshly world so that I can be with him. We just did a podcast this week. I want to encourage you to check out our most recent uh, episode of Consider This, What Happens to Believers When They Die. One of the most true statements and one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul gets so excited about this and one of the reasons why he's able to trust Jesus with the things that he can't fully understand or know. He doesn't say this is exactly how the body is gonna work. He just knows it's gonna be different. He knows it's gonna be better. He knows it's gonna be like Jesus. But just like Heidi May, you're gonna have to get there to understand it, sweetheart. Church, we're going to have to get there to understand it. And when we do, it'll be better than we ever imagined. Because death will have lost any kind of influence or power over us. Sin will have lost all of its luster, all the rebellion against God. When we see Jesus, when we see God, we're going to wonder, why did I not trust you? Like, Why did I not believe your way was the best way, God? Why, why did I ever think that my way was the right way? Why did I ever think that lust or that pride or that envy or that bitterness or that unforgiving heart, how could I have ever thought, now that I stand in your presence, how could I have ever thought that somehow disobeying you was the right way? Like it makes no sense to me from this side. And Jesus Christ has given proof to this by going through it all, life, sinless. And he goes into death 
and death cannot hold him. I like how Melissa put it, like it's, it's not even close. By the way, do you know who was the quarterback of that game that you described, 222 to nothing? John Heisman, the Heisman Trophy Award. Anyway, a little, little thing for you Georgia Tech fans. Um, it's important for you to realize, like it's not even close. It's, it's not even close. Death didn't almost have its hold on him. No, Jesus Christ breathed again when God chose. Because there's nothing that can stop him or defy him. And that's the God that invited you, that invited you into a life of his kingdom. Is that not crazy? That's why to believe in Jesus and to believe in the afterlife is not just, you know you really need to be a good person? You're not a good person. You should try to be a good person. No. agony and pain. And then in the presence of God, and let me think of a way to call that, well, it'd be the new heavens and the new earth. In the presence of God, there is going to be this eternal joy where his reign is not going to be rebelled against, where his plan is not going to be questioned, but it is just going to be lived in and appreciated. And what you and I have done by putting our faith in Jesus Christ is we have actually stepped into that world early. You and I, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we live in what is known as the, 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 the now but the not yet. We are now getting glimpses of what heaven is going to be like. I believe the church, when it's functioning the way the church should function, under the Holy Spirit, under the word of God, what we are getting is, is a taste of this presence of God. And it changes everything. That's why it's interesting, like, the last statement that Paul's going to give, his great therefore, in verse 58, it's not, therefore, don't be afraid of dying. Therefore, what, what is it? Let's take a look at it, verse, 50, verse 58. Therefore what? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast. Don't be shaken. Don't want you getting distracted by sin and the fear of death. Don't want you to get lost in kind of all the complexities of life. I, I know life can seem overwhelming, but don't get lost in that. Remember who Jesus Christ is. Remember what he has accomplished. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Some of you might go, well, yeah, for you preachers, but I, I don't work at preaching the gospel. I get it. But, but hopefully you live it, right? So you find yourself in a marriage that's just not doing it for you. And so you're going, I, I think I need to find another way to do this. I, I mean, I just, it's, I don't think I can do this anymore. Well, honestly, like if you don't want the Holy Spirit and don't need the Holy Spirit, then I guess you can just try to live your life any way that you want, but... When the Holy Spirit comes in you and by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
your labor, your work, struggling through that relationship and being faithful, even when they're not faithful, that labor is not in vain. I just, I don't know if I can put up with it much longer. I mean, after all, how much, I mean, the prodigal is just, man, it's, it's harder than I thought it would be. I know, I get it. But your labor waiting for your child, your, your labor praying for your child, your, your labor continuing to speak truth to your child is, is, is not in vain. And you want to know how I know? Because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And he's not going to give up on you. And so your labor of love for that prodigal that is not coming home, I know you want to quit. Do you ever just want to quit? Well, you don't have to quit. Why? Because God is going to, just like he breathed life into Jesus, God is going to rectify all of this in the end and your labor will not be in vain. I just, I'm so tired of being good. I'm so tired of, of living my life in, in one particular way. I want to experience what life is like on the other side. That's why I can't wait to go to college. I know, like I totally get it. But in light of Jesus, and in light of what he's accomplished in the death of sin and the death of death, and in light of the fact where we're always ultimately going to end up, I want you to think of Jesus and be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord for the work that we labor in, not preaching and teaching, but living out the gospel is never in vain. So I want to ask you again, have you ever felt like a fool for believing the gospel? You ever felt like a fool for believing the gospel? Honestly, I have. I'm now growing more and more comfortable with that silliness because I live in a world that considers almost everything of God to be silly. And I like to be reminded of the fact that I'm not alone. The Apostle Paul was considered a fool. I, I, I don't mind lining up with him. I, I know a lot of people that look at difficulties and adversities in life and, and the world just says, I don't think you get it. But the gospel seems to present it as though it is real and true. And only the resurrection of Jesus can do that. So the next time you find yourself in these immovable situations, in these situations where you desire to just give up, hey, you don't need the Holy Spirit to give up. Actually, he'll, you'll find fighting yourself, yourself fighting against him if you want to do that. But if you want to experience the kind of life and hope that God has for you in this world and in the next, it is found in Jesus and in him alone. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus and for the hope that we have in him. I'm so grateful for the fact that I cannot explain it all and even to explain it would not help me fully understand it for it is something I need to experience. And that is why I say, come Lord Jesus. I don't just want to know what it is going to be like, I want to be there. I want to be with you. Father, as a church, we don't just want to know what the afterlife is going to be like. We desire to be with you. And therefore, we will work faithfully until you come, and we want you to come.
And all the church said, Amen.